This is a Gulf Stories moment made possible by the University of West Florida Innovation Institute. Well, hi again, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this extended Gulf Stories moment. My guests today are Dr. Jason Ortegren, an associate professor from the Department of Earth and Environmental Sciences at UWF, and Rebecca Foglietti, who got her master's at UWF in environmental science and has done research on the climatology of tornado outbreaks and outbreak variability. And with both of them, we'll be talking about the spring severe weather season on the Gulf Coast. Thank you guys both for coming on. Of course. So I'm glad to have you. This is the first time we've ever had a couple of guests, so I'm expecting a nice, full, robust conversation. I am sure we will get there. We're talking about spring severe weather season, and uh, Dr. Ortegren, as I mentioned to you uh, before we started recording, I'm, I, the reason I wanted to do this is even now, even as good as technology is, we still, on a semi-regular basis, see these really sad events happen. And you don't have to look any further than just a few weeks back, the beginning of March, right here on the Gulf Coast, 23 people lost their lives in a tornado outbreak. And as I was thinking about that, and I have a history of meteorology, so I thought about it a lot, you know, I, I think people still don't look at the Gulf Coast as, as any place to think of when it comes to tornadoes. They, of course, naturally think of hurricanes. That's not accurate, is it? It's a significant threat around here. It is. It's an annual threat any time of year. Unlike most places in the U.S., the Gulf of Mexico is uh, provides us with one of the key ingredients for tornadic development, and it could happen, uh, and, and has happened. Statistically, we can see it happen any month of the year. Again, that is unique in the U.S. to, to this Gulf Coast and Peninsular Florida region. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca, I know that uh, you've been studying tornadoes for a long time. Is this you talk about your history in the world of tornadoes. Before we even the storm chasing, just your, your master's work at UWF. Um, so I, I did my research on outbreak tornadoes and their variability. Um, I did a climatology of that. And uh, one of the things that I found in my research was that there was no all-encompassing definition of outbreak, which, which makes comparing literature mm -hmm. very difficult. Um, so, I mean... You can ask yourself, like, what is what is an outbreak? Are we talking quantity of tornadoes? Are we talking um, spatial? Like, is there a distance in which you cut it off? Like, how many days or hours in between one tornado to the next, you know, do you stop? Or even do you measure it by intensity? Um, so we looked at a few different definitions, and we kind of were able to pit them against each other to see, mm -hmm. you know, uh, where, I guess we see more tornadoes or outbreak tornadoes. Um, were you trying to, with this work, were you trying to find an answer, like trying to almost come up with a, an all-encompassing definition, or is that impossible? So when you start off, you know, as I a, have asked okay. a funny question, apparently. <laughs> when you start off as a new grad student, you know, you, you get these big eyes, I'm going to change the world, yeah. like I'm going to answer these yes. big, deep questions. and. Usually, uh, that's what your thesis professor is for, to kind of bring you back down to a very realistic level. And ultimately, we did not find it all-encompassing uh, outbreak definition. I mean, like, we've, you know, we've talked, like, specifically for our area, mm -hmm. we have hurricane-developed tornadoes, and we have, you know, the classic setup, the contrasting air masses um, for tornadoes. Uh, so they kind of, they have different... What is the word I'm looking for? Different characteristics uh -huh. in their formation. Well, can you, um, 
is there a, how does the, the Gulf Coast look at it? And the reason I ask that is I remember when I was working in meteorology, let's say during the winter, if uh, the Storm Prediction Center or the National Weather Service would issue, say, a hard freeze warning, the definition of a hard freeze warning in Pensacola, Florida, was quite different from the definition of someplace in the Northeast who dealt with much longer freezes. And, you know, if it was going to get down to 27 degrees here, maybe they might issue the hard freeze warning. And people up north would just look at us and laugh and say, that's not a freeze. It's not even below zero. Is it similar with tornadoes that it's region by region and based on what you can expect? Uh, it can be. I mean, for our area, since we have the threat of, you know, hurricane tornadoes and, you know, the classic setup tornado, um, I mean, those the Midwest, you're going to see a lot, you know, they're going to be a lot stronger, um, more developed. Mm -hmm. You know, hurricane tornadoes tend to be shallower, weaker. I mean, they still cause considerable de uh, devastation um, and damages. But, I mean, you know, one hurricane could produce 100 tornadoes. It could produce one tornado. It could, you know, it's extremely variable. And I think maybe it's worth mentioning that a, a hurricane is producing its own devastation absent any tornadic yeah. development right. and then add to that within this monster, throw in a few small swirling extra vortices that are doing isolated localized damage. And even after the fact, it can be difficult to identify what was what. So I think sometimes we walk away with estimates of the number of tornadoes that were spawned by a hurricane because we're looking at yeah. a whole swath of damage. Some appears to be tornadic, right. others appears to be straight line wind, hurricane wind damage, and it can be sometimes indistinguishable. Oh yeah, I mean, you, you look and you see 38 trees down, it, you know, maybe you can say, well, clearly there was a pattern, this is a tornado, but but maybe you can't, you can just see the devastation. So yeah, your point is fair that, that, that it's gonna be estimate based. We talked about the fact uh, before we started recording that um, while it may be true that with hurricane spawned tornadoes, uh, they may be a little weaker, but they can also be shocking in terms of the amount of them. There can be so many. In the example we gave, looking back to Hurricane Ivan in 2004, more than 100 spawned, which seems like an unrealistic number, but, but isn't and is really kind of crazy. Yeah, and in a relatively small area. I mean, we're talking in the landfall zone and the storm uh, lost, well, and, and hurricanes in general, landfalling systems, tropical systems, lose their vigor and their main energy very quickly after yeah. making landfall, so that that tornado activity is really tends to be coastally confined, at least uh, at least for the tropical mm -hmm. designation. The, the, the storm itself may move inland and continue to cause all kinds of, of havoc, course. but uh, it is no longer tropical at that point. And, and so, Rebecca, you got your your undergrad in uh, in meteorology, yes? I have. Yes. So so it sounds to me, I mean, you you undergraduate in meteorology, you did this work as a master's student, you you've you've chased tornadoes, weather plays a big role in your life. And it's, is it, has it always, have you been interested in that since you were a kid? Or? Uh, actually, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Hurricane Isabel like flew up the coast mm -hmm. and I was pretty inspired by it um, when I was in high school. So so w the reason I'm asking is when you think about what happened on March 3rd, you know, I'm imagining because the data is so easy to find now, you know, you, you don't have to work in the world of weather to have access to the threats and radars and projections and everything else. It's all available. Were you before that day sort of highly tuned into this and, and really paying great attention? I know that I was. I'm just curious if, if you were. I mean, you know, you can kind of see a couple of classic players um, in, you know, the atmospheric, mm -hmm. um, you know, in the atmosphere kind of come together. And you can kind of get an idea, you know, in the next couple of days we might see some fireworks, um, you know, just, just because, you know, 
you just see a couple of classic elements. Yeah, and it's so tricky too because as you pointed out, um, even when those classic elements are there, you may have an enormous outbreak and you may not have much of anything. Right. I mean, you could have, you know, the most beautifully set up parameters. Mm -hmm. You know, you could have contrasting air masses. You could have, you know, instability in the atmosphere, a uh, source of lift, and, and it could just check all of those boxes and then you could get nothing. Yeah. It's, uh, I, you know, um, whenever the Storm Prediction Center puts out, I, I, I think they still call it the particularly dangerous situation, you know, and they'll highlight a, an area. That's really frightening stuff, you know, because they, they don't do that without knowing this could be bad. And it does feel like under those circumstances, more often than not, it goes bad. Uh, yeah, I think we have arrived at that point, at least. Mm -hmm. um, the advent of radar, mm -hmm. Doppler radar specifically, especially, has, has helped with that. But I would say back to the comment about the data, that in, in spite of all of that, data remains the key limitation mm -hmm. in learning about tornado histories. It's uh, even the very best quality tornado data extend backwards maybe 40 or 50 years for most places. And, and uh, anything prior to 10 or 20 years ago is uh is not really trustworthy or not not, ex not really highly reliable mm -hmm. right not with great we don't have great confidence in it so we are you know our general climate record is extremely short 100 years tornado record is uh, the solid tornado record is a quarter of that ice. yeah which is which is nothing nothing you know, his, yeah. historically speaking right. and, or statistically speaking unfortunately yeah. it's hard to, to derive really any inference from that short record which it's it, you know you feel like in the information age the last thing we're lacking is information but on this particular topic and, and a tornado a tornado or an outbreak simply can just come unexpectedly mm -hmm. or with only 30 minutes mm -hmm. of signal in the radar or in the other uh, the other metrics that we look at. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of tornadoes like occur in rural areas. Um, like we were storm chasing once, and there's this huge wedge tornado down in Texas, and it had been on the ground for 10 minutes, but it was in the middle of nowhere. So, it, you know, it got called in 10 minutes later by a spotter, but ultimately the you know the ranking of it was very low. There was nothing really to damage. Um, so. I wanted to ask Rebecca. You you have mentioned now that uh, we talked about your undergrad work, talked about your master's work, and I and I threw in there that you have chased. Uh, give me the the sequence of that. Like in of those three things, how did they break out timeline wise in your life? What was um, first? So I got my undergraduate degree in meteorology, and while I was at school, um, there was a course, a storm chasing course that was offered. Um, so I expressed interest, and I talked to the professor, and then I went on a, a storm chase you know, excursion, it's, you know, kind of, you plan for two weeks and you end up being out maybe 10 days. You kind of have to, it has to be fuzzy on both ends and when you leave and when you come back, just depending on the setup. But um, I loved it. And then they offered me a TA spot the next trip. And then the year after that, I did it again. So. Okay. I want, let's talk about the fact that you loved it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, during that first 10 day window, when you were just kind of testing the waters, what happened? Like, what did you see? What was that like? So, okay, I guess when you think of storm chasing, you think of really, you know, excitement. We've all seen Twister. <laughs> we yeah. all have seen Twister. But it's it's a lot of driving. <laughs> it's a lot of driving. Um, but, you know. When you were doing this, uh, did you have radar with you? Like We did. did. We, had the, we had radar. We had uh, a mapping system up in the car so we could see where we were and then where we were in the radar. So that was... That was, you know, key point to being very safe. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, well, what was it like though? Like during that 10 days, did you interact? Were there tornadoes? You chased them? What? We did, yeah. We found several several tornadoes um, and uh, one storm chasing event. I guess this was the second one I went on. Um, we actually, uh, it was, we thought it was kind of be kind of a bust day. We, we found this storm, it was rain wrapped, so it's very hard to see. It's right. kind of, those, those sort of storms, uh, there's not a lot of get from mm -hmm. it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Real quickly, for anyone who doesn't know, tell us what rain wrapped means. Oh, uh, rain wrapped, you, you can't really see what's going on in the storm. So there could be a tornado, but it's just completely wrapped by rain. Like you won't see any of the structure. I mean, you can tell it's a big storm. Mm -hmm. But okay, so so we got you know kind of close, and the cloud deck was really high, so the probability of a, a tornado was pretty low. So we got we got close, and we're all kind of milling about. Students were taking pictures, you know, and we see this beautiful like dark precipitation line, and we're like, oh look at that! And then all of a sudden, this giant tornado just pulls right out of the rain and we all kind of like you know look at it big-eyed and then someone yells get in the van <laughs> and we're all all of a sudden yelling it to each other get in the van how and close it was maybe a little maybe a mile maybe <sighs> a mile <laughs> my goodness but we all like hopped in the van and like took off okay so now at this point in time i'm thinking if it's me i'm like well okay this isn't for me um, <laughs> but for you this was like a, a good thing and you thought yeah I'm, I'm into this yeah it was it was pretty fun um usually you have to really be into it to want to go on those kinds of trips you have to pay a lot of money hmm. you know insurance the, the school has to have you sign waivers that kind of thing um and i mean everyone was just pressed to the window so we were all we were all a good group <laughs> but well have you had any uh have you had any experiences chasing where you thought that was that was a little close? That that was a little nerve wracking. Thankfully, that was the closest one. And um, this was your first one? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Oh, the first okay, one. gotcha. Okay, good, <laughs> okay. good, good. Um, so that was the closest. That's the closest. During that, was there any part of you where where you thought, "Yikes, this was a little closer than I than I would like," or did you always feel okay about it? I always felt okay. I mean, we we were very safe about it. Like mm -hmm. we made sure that we maintained a certain distance. We watched the radar pretty closely. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we were, we had them in all the cars. I mean, there was only two, but everyone had radar and you know, everyone can kind of forecast on their own. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Ortegren, um, we were talking earlier about sort of the, the lack of data. Um, and, and again, when I think about just the last 20 years, I think, my goodness, we've come so far, you know, I mean, the ability to predict weather has gotten so much better. Um, but your point certainly is valid, you know, in the big picture, 100 years still isn't that much. When you look at the way storms are predicted now, again, to think of, say, the Storm Prediction Center out of Norman, Oklahoma, or closer to home, the National Weather Service in Mobile, do you feel like, have you put much thought into whether or not you feel real good about that? Do you feel like, nah, there's still a long way to go on this stuff? Oh, well, I think on the part of those organizations and the people involved, I think that we were doing the very, they are doing the very yes. best that can be done. And uh, and the, those data we do appear to have in that uh, fatalities and human injuries have dropped dramatically relative to the pre-satellite right. uh, and the pre-warning system mm -hmm. days, mm -hmm. it's been beneficial. However, nighttime tornadoes remain, I mean, or, or rain wrap tornadoes that, that Rebecca mentioned, a perfect example, can be on top of you before you realize they exist. And, uh, well, that, I mean, you, they can get you from behind, essentially. Can go back No quick. warning, yeah. yeah. And so uh, I I think the data problem that that we face is, related to 
in the early years, especially mm-hmm. pre-satellite, mm-hmm. all we have is spotting that those that were identified. And especially when population densities were lower in the Great Plains and pl- in the Midwest, places like this, uh, many, many tornadoes went unnoticed. I have to assume some number still goes unnoticed every year in the U.S. Sure. In Dakotas, parts of, of, of the relatively unpopulated areas of the plains especially, tornadoes must pop up, exist for 20 minutes, but never come near a human being and therefore never be Didn't even yeah, yeah. be observed in any way. Mm-hmm. And that's a data point, but it isn't. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an, it, it would be a data point, except we don't have the data. So we end up with incomplete knowledge I think even still of of all of the tornadic activity that's taking place in in the U.S. even uh, and then that leaves out places without the good fortune in terms of uh, of technology right. and 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 uh, organizational focus on on tracking and monitoring. It's something you said earlier um, that I thought was really interesting. You touched on when we first started was the idea of here on the Gulf Coast when you think about uh, tornadoes this almost year-long threat. You know, again, nobody thinks, well, I shouldn't say that. I don't think a lot of people think of the Gulf Coast as, you know, certainly not Tornado Alley or this uh, place with a high threat for tornadoes, but we don't just have a spring severe weather season. As we've talked about, they spawn from hurricanes. They certainly can happen in the fall if if the setup is right, even the winter. That's not the norm, is it? It's not the norm. We, uh, our proximity to the Gulf, the low latitude, so that we have the available warm, humid air, which is the energy source for, um, for storminess. That's, uh, that's a year-round, potentially a year-round phenomenon. And I'm going to put this in that in a sort of a textbook way, classic undergraduate material here, that, uh, that in the United States, Florida has more thunderstorms on average per year than any other state in the United States for the same reason. The proximity to the Gulf Mm -hmm. and the peninsular shape helps. So uh, along the Gulf Coast included, uh, that's true. Thunderstorms are more frequent. They can occur any time of year. And uh, the, the, the single defining characteristic uh, related to the probability of tornadic development of severe weather development period is the longevity of a thunderstorm. Mm. The longer a thunderstorm exists, the greater the statistical chance that it will produce hail, severe yeah. winds, or tornado. And we have the most thunderstorms. We tend to have among those many long-lived ones, and therefore statistically, mm-hmm. we're a large state too, uh, and so much coastline, right? That right. essentially uh, put all those factors together, and we are lined up for for severe weather. And a- as you said at the beginning of the question, every month of the year, it's pretty that, that, where that really distinguishes us. Well, many every place can have severe weather. Mm-hmm. We potentially can get it every month of the year. Yeah, it's quite quite daunting, really, when you when you it think is. about that. Rebecca, to follow follow that thought up, um, do you have, you know, acknowledging that, you know, almost every month of the year this is this is at least a threat, maybe not an enormous threat at all times, but the threat is there. Is there a time where you are sort of particularly on edge or particularly like tuned in to the threat? Um, I have to say hurricane season is, is one of my favorites, <laughs> which I mean, you know, they, they cause considerable damage, but forecasting for hurricanes and hurricane tornadoes is, I'm usually on my computer a lot, yeah. looking at different model runs sure. and um, all of those resources uh, that are available. Um, so that's that's usually when I'm like... When you're, when you're looking at, uh, let's say, an approaching tropical event, and you're specifically, do you think about those, like, do you have the overall interest in all of it, or are you really thinking... 
What does this mean for tornadic possibilities? I'm usually thinking, just because of my training, mm -hmm. um, I'm usually thinking in terms of tornadic capabilities, mm. but that doesn't mean I try to, like, that doesn't mean I ignore, you know, sure. the, the risks that come with hurricanes themselves, mm -hmm. so... Yeah. And so so the last thing I'll ask you, Rebecca, as we talked about, you know, off the top that the research you've done and as it relates to outbreaks, we, we I think we said before we start recording what happened at the beginning of March on the Gulf Coast by any definition would be considered an outbreak. Yes. Yes. I mean, there was what, over 30 tornadoes. Yeah. Um, it pretty much ticked every single mm -hmm. box from loose to restrictive in terms of definitions that we looked at. And what would you say, you know, based on the research you did, do you have any sort of key findings, anything that was uncovered that you thought, boy, this is really, this is, I'm glad we did this. Yes. Um, so what, there were, there were very few, I guess, overall consistencies between the definitions we looked at, but one thing that we did notice was the emergence of a tornado outbreak alley centered in northern northern central Alabama, um, hundreds of miles from the classic tornado alley, um, which is concerning. I mean, Alabama is highly populated, um, especially that part of Alabama. Right. Um, it's very close to us. So that was... Um, and had that again. been... No one else ever taken note of that? Like, is this sort of something you guys really, there, you, I should say? There were hints of it in other research, but without, I mean, that was the next finding, actually. Um, the choice of definition can substantially um, impact the resulting, the resulting story of U.S. tornado outbreak history. So it really, like, the, the definition you choose can incredibly change the answer you get. Mm. So With that exception, every definition produced in, in Rebecca's analyses the same result as where is the heart of outbreak geographically where is the heart of the outbreak activity um, no matter the definition that we looked at north alabama and then that and maybe uh, bordering on southern tennessee that's the center geographically speaking the center of the action hmm. it's wow. uh, and it's i don't think we arrived at we can't sit here and explain exactly why uh and I would say that it's similar to what you mentioned about hurricanes, that it's not necessarily, um, it's not as though Tornado Alley is mislabeled. Tornado Alley in Oklahoma and Texas is that because of the relative frequency of very large, mm -hmm. incredibly intense mm -hmm. tornadoes. And that is the center of that action. But for families or outbreaks or multi-tornado events from a single storm, um, it, the center is not there. That, yeah. That's not all that common, it turns out, or not as common as we might have thought in the classic Tornado Alley. Rather, it occurs more in Alabama. That's, yeah, that's, I shouldn't feel surprised, though I, I can't help but feel a little surprised by that. Yeah. Um, Rebecca, is there is there any place anyone listening can find your research if they want to read the report? Um, so we've been, we've been working on a publication, so unless you go to the, the UWF has a um, There's a thesis, right? The UWF library provides access, free access to, to the theses. And if you search by Rebecca's name or mm -hmm. by tornado outbreaks, uh, you know, keywords, you can find her the full document with all of the data and analysis. It's very long. <laughs> right. We're trying, as she said, to condense mm -hmm. it down to the meat of the story. And we have we have a collaborator, Tyler Mitchell, a student, another former UWF student uh, who has worked worked along with us, and the three of us are are working towards the process of getting it published, uh, but it, that that's uh, that, that's a process. It's, yeah, it's I, slow, and uh, there's a lot of work going into well, it. Well, either way, published or not, I'm glad to know that it's 
possible to find because I, I myself would love to read it. And I'm sure a lot of folks who are listening to this, they're listening because they're really into this kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah, they may want to check it out as well. So um, thank you both very much. I thank sure you. appreciate your time. This has been uh, really interesting. We've been talking to Dr. Jason Ortegren, Associate Professor from the Department of Earth and Environmental Sciences at UWF, and Rebecca Foglietti, who got her master's at UWF Environmental Science and has done research on the climatology of tornado outbreaks and outbreak variability. Thank you guys both very much. Thank you. Thank you. For more Golf Stories moments, visit wuwf.org slash podcast or go to the podcast page of npr.org.